Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host Clint Lamb sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing this morning after speaking 30 seconds ago? <laughs> Not much has changed, uh, and people will be glad to know that heard the last episode. Uh, even though it's been a few minutes, my offensive line starting projection did not change. And uh, and trust me, uh, my mind can change really quickly when it comes to these things. <laughs> but uh, but no, uh, I'm doing pretty much like I was a few minutes ago. I feel older. I feel wiser. I'm a completely different person than I was in the last episode. I've a lot's happened between that episode in this episode. So I'm just happy to be here, happy to share it with you guys. Or uh, we talked about the offensive line in the last episode. This episode, we're going to be talking about some other positions, wide receiver, quarterback, running back. We'll see what happens if Jimmy and I get down into the weeds like we did in the first episode, then we might break it up into three, or we might be able to keep it just to two. We'll just have to wait and see how it goes. But Jimmy, I do want to talk about the receivers. Because Nick Saban, granted, he did say that there were a couple of drops. And he didn't say that it came from the receivers necessarily. Could it come from the tight ends? We don't know. Could it come from the running backs? We don't know. But he did say that there were a couple of drops in the scrimmage that he wants to see get cleaned up. But when he was specifically asked about the wide receivers and their performance, the first name out of his mouth was Jermaine Burton. And he said he did a really good job. And then he talked about Aaron Anderson 
the true freshman, one of my favorite players in Alabama's 2022 signing class, period. Love the guy. Think he's going to be an electric player for Alabama. And so he brought him up by name and said that, you know, he had a couple big plays on Saturday. He shows good run after the catch ability. He took like a five-yard play and made, you know, ran it for 35 or 40 yards against the first-team defense, which I think is pretty important. But, you know, he so he brought him up. Treshawn Holden kind of continues to be Mr. Reliable. I think that he's the new Slade Bolden. A lot of fans are going to be questioning why he's on the field. They want to see the shiny toy that can do so many different things, and they feel like they're wasting targets and reps on a guy like Treshawn Holden. I think he's super reliable. I think he's a good chain mover. He can be a target hog when you need him to be. And I think that his chemistry and relationship with Bryce Young is very beneficial for both players. So he's certainly going to be a part of that rotation, in my opinion. But just what were your reactions to Nick Saban's comments about the receivers? And what have you heard or what do you think about the group so far this spring? Yeah, I'm a little encouraged uh, to, to an extent. I hate that Ja'Cory Brooks is out the whole spring because Ja'Cory could be, and he still could be, a, a, a huge part of things as far as the first rotation goes this fall. He'll have to bounce back this summer and, uh, and get to work with Bryce because I sort of anticipate Corey Brooks being a guy that's in that first group. Um, I think this spring, Clint, is proof that we were so smart to target and bring in an experienced receiver, uh, and we're lucky that a guy like Tremaine Burton was available to us. Um, now, I think even though he didn't come from a system that's similar to Alabama's, is not. I mean, I know he's in the same league, plays against the same teams we play against largely, but, but it is a different system. He's had to relearn everything, but he is still game experience. He's a mature guy that, that knows, Hey, believe it or not at Georgia, they put in the work. They, they don't just show up. I mean, they, they, they put in the work over there. So he's, he's used to working hard at this level. And uh, he's obviously been a splashy addition. I, I expect him to be wide receiver one, uh, this fall, and by that I mean, I, I I define that as the guy that's going to catch the most balls and have the most targets. Uh, I, I think, assuming good health, that guy will be Burton. And I like the John Mechie comps because that's what I hear most often. Uh, and, and I agree that that based on recent Bama receivers, Burton is more like him than any of the others. But I do think that Burton is also a better vertical receiver than that makes it sound. I don't want to make it sound like he's limited to being a possession guy to move the chains guy. I, I think Burton's going to make big plays. I, I think in a, I think he will be a lot like Mechie and somewhat like Jamison in the sense that uh, he's also going to make the vertical uh, play and, and, and hit some deep balls and also outrun some guys on some medium routes and, and, and turn it into big plays. So excited about Burton. I love that you, you've been very high on Aaron Anderson from day one. Uh, I love that. I love that he made a big play. I made a big point of this uh, in a piece I wrote yesterday for On3. Uh, look, last year in the A-Day game, Ajay Hall had a huge A-Day, which is, by the way, practice. It's not a real game, folks. It's practice. <laughs> and he had a big practice. Uh, but pay a lot of attention as to who he does it against. You know, Ajay played for the second team. That means on A-Day, First team plays first team, second team plays second team. So Ajay did all that damage against the backup Alabama players. And not only were they the backups, a lot of the backups were playing with the first team that day due to injuries. So Ajay wasn't out there crushing Job 
or crushing Jalen Armour Davis. He was beating fellow freshmen, walk-ons, guys that don't play with the ones, uh, young players. And I'm not dogging him, and I'm not diminishing what he did. It was a really impressive practice and really impressive that Ajay kind of showed us what his, his ceiling is. He showed us his potential. And there's a legitimate reason for everybody to be excited about that. But Ajay wasn't a significant player last fall, despite what happened on A-Day. And that confuses a lot of people. Well, this is why. He didn't do it against the ones. And I say all that to say Aaron Anderson made his play against the ones. Nick Saban went out of his way to say, boy, Aaron Anderson made a big play. He did it against the starters. Even though it's one snap, speaking for myself, that impresses me more than anything Hall did in A-Day a year ago. Uh, simply for two reasons. Number one, he did it against the starters. That means he's probably playing the slot, right? That means Aaron Anderson, and I, I'm, I'm, I haven't seen the play, so I'm speculating, but Aaron was probably in the slot. That means he beat Battle, he beat Helms, or he beat the star, Brian Branch, off the line of scrimmage. And not only did he beat those guys, then he outran the secondary. And, and not backup guys, he outran Battle, he outran Helms, he outran a corner. You know, he made a big play against the starters. And I know it's one snap, but to me, it speaks volumes. He not only did that, he didn't do it in the third scrimmage, which is a day. He did in the first one, you know. So I, I think I, I, it doesn't make me one play is not going to say, OK, Aaron Anderson's going to be our starting slot this fall. Not saying that at all. I'm just saying, who that was highly encouraging. And, and I'm more excited about that than I was the uh the Ajay Hall breakout A-Day performance a year ago. Yeah, and that's exactly the same point that I took away from it as well. Was it, That was the immediate comparison that I thought of was Ajay Hall. And just last year, everybody was so in awe of him, including myself. I mean, it was very – I mean, everybody was buzzing about him. The national media was buzzing about him. Great acrobatic yeah. catches. Competition is important. And one of the things that I think hurt Ajay as far as getting on the field is that – People took what he did against, you know, lower guys in the depth chart, and they assumed that that was going to translate when you're going against, you know, an Eli Rick caliber corner or a Derek Steenley caliber corner or a Martin Emerson for, for Mississippi State or Kair Elam for Florida. You know, you just assume that those type of catches and impactful plays are going to translate. That doesn't, that, that's, that doesn't compute. That doesn't add up. You know, going against Alabama's first-team defense, you know that there are a few players that's any position that a guy's going to be going against, whether you're an offensive lineman, a receiver. You know, if you're a corner going against Alabama's receivers, if you're a linebacker trying to keep up with a running back, all these things, you're not going to see too much better than you're going to see every day in practice when you're going best on best. And that's why I was extremely impressed with Aaron Anderson and what he did. Nick Saban, not only did he bring up the play, he made sure to to let people know, hey, he did it against the first-team defense. I mean, that's a much bigger deal. That's a lot more important. Last year, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while. I'd have to go back and listen. But if I'm not mistaken, I want to say that Nick Saban kind of tempered expectations on a Jai Hall after that big performance. He didn't come out and say, this guy's incredible, you know, he said he had a good practice, if I'm not mistaken, but there was nothing. It's just a very different approach from Nick Saban. I think that that's where the clues are, is he's leaving you clues on what is expected of Aaron Anderson this year. I think he's going to be a part of the rotation at whose expense. That's the big issue with the receivers. 
Um, you yep. got Jermaine Burton. You got Ja'Cory Brooks coming back, who I think is going to be a starter. You got, uh, you know, Trayshawn Holden. You got a Jaya Hall. How's he progressing? Haven't heard of anything about him on the field this spring. Not a single word about this guy showing a ton of improvement. Not saying that he has it. Maybe he has. But I feel like that, you know, by this point, and maybe Nick Saban needs to be asked about it. Maybe that's my job next time have he's out seen, there. Have you seen we've, – we've watched every practice video, and we've looked at every picture. Have you seen a Jaya Hall? Not once. I, not uh, it's so, always it's always Burton, it's Holden, it's you know you see JoJo Earl, you see Aaron Anderson, you see Kendrick Law, and that's somebody else. Nick Saban, you know, has mm-hmm. talked about Kendrick Law, which to me was very surprising. And now, granted, I love Kendrick Law's long term upside. I always have. I love every receiver that Alabama signed in this class. Their long term upside. Will all of them pan out? Probably not. But I think all of them have the potential to be that guy to be that, you know, close to being that Aaron Anderson, just Aaron Anderson I felt the most confident in. And I guess a lot of people, other people did too because he's, at least in the on-three consensus, he's the highest-rated Alabama receiver. But when you look at Ajayi and, you know, some of these other guys, you just you haven't heard a whole lot about him. I haven't heard – you've even seen Christian Leary, now that I think about it. You've seen pretty much everybody but Ajayi Hall. So that, yeah. that's, a, that's a good point. Well, I just bring it up, Sam. I'm not speculating as to whether he's practicing or not. I'm just saying if somebody tells you – He's not practicing. Uh, you can't go to the video or photos to say, hey, you're wrong. Here he is. He ain't in the videos and photos. So if somebody says he isn't practicing, maybe he's not. So, you know, and it, the whole thing reminds me of a story, uh, and, and I need to change names to protect the innocent. So uh, uh, a long time ago, this isn't recent, long time ago, but Alabama, and uh, a coach told me a story, uh, you know, uh, a long time ago about how in his very first staff meeting, he walks in, this is the very first staff meeting he's ever in. He, he came from somewhere else. He don't know any of the guys on our team except the stars that have been in the media a lot. Like, for instance, anybody that just gets to our team this year, they're going to know who Bryce is. They know who Will Anderson is. But they don't know who uh, Devontae Smith is. They don't know who Christian Leary is. But, but they know. But anyway, so my point is, just gets here, wasn't even in the SEC, doesn't know anybody. On the, and in his first staff meeting, they talk about one player who, who'd been in some trouble, okay? But they're talking about, and they spend 75% of the staff meeting on this one guy. So he's thinking, holy crap, this kid, this kid must be good. I, first I've heard of him. We spent 75% of the meeting on him. I can't, so he's, he's going to his office and he's busy, but he's, he's putting what he needs to do on hold and he's pulling up one of our game tapes from last year, pulls up the Auburn game, some big game from the year before, and he's fast-forwarded through it looking for the kid's number. And he's like, where's number? He was on the team. Where He's hardly playing. And he's, like, looking for him on the tape. And an experienced guy walks in the room. He's like, we just spent 75% of the meeting talking about this guy. I'm watching the Auburn game from last year. He's not even on the field. And the guy's, oh, well, he's not a great player. <laughs> he's like, well, why are we spending so much time talking about him? We spent the whole staff meeting on that. And he, he was just sort of blown away by, and, and the point is, you know, you need to focus on the kids that are going to play, the kids you're coaching, the kids that are going to be out there. And, and I'm not saying that the Jaya Hall is apples to apples to that story, but in terms of how much the fans spend talking about that guy, uh, it's something that he's never been on the first team. As of this exact moment, I have a hard time believing he's on the first team based on the lack of photos, lack of, video lack of photos 
And yet, who I don't know that there's a more disgust guy on the football team other than Bryce and Will. Yeah, I mean, you're, that's correct. And I mean, I don't know what, he's a complete unknown to me. I don't even know what to make of him. But, you know, you got Burton, you got Treshawn Holden, you got JoJo Earl, you got Corey Brooks, you got Aaron Anderson. I'll tell you right now, if that's your top five, that's a heck of a top five. If anybody it should be really worried, and it's somebody that I thought could take a huge step forward in year two, but if I was somebody that needs to make sure that they're developing at a very fast rate, it would be JoJo Earl. I yep. still think he's got a ton of talent, but Aaron Anderson is already getting the compliments and the attention from Nick Saban. He's doing good things against good players, and he's earning that recognition. And, I mean, this I don't think he's really a perimeter outside receiver. You know, we talk about Jermaine Burton and the fact that he can win deep, and he certainly can. And John Mechie can certainly win deep as well. We've seen it. What separates a guy like Jamison Williams and his vertical ability compared to those guys who can win vertically, there's a difference, is that Jamison Williams, everybody knows he's going vertical. Everybody knows he's trying to take the top off of defenses, and they're trying to account for it, and they still can't stop it. If people were scheming against Jermaine Burton, beating them deep, saying we're not going to let this guy beat us deep, more than likely to Jermaine Burton's not beating him deep. But he can when things are being, you know, right. when attention is being diverted to other places. If you think that maybe he's going to try to beat you on the short to intermediate stuff, he can beat you deep. The same thing with John Mechie. Same thing with some other receivers. So I really like the the core makeup of the group. I don't think they have a true vertical field stretcher like they did with Jamison Williams. I don't know that they'll have one look quite like that in the next several years. They've had great receivers, and they'll continue to have great receivers, and that's not the only way to beat defenses. So I'm not saying, right. oh, man, they're going to take a huge step back. I'm saying that what Jamison Williams was able to achieve this past year in the way that he was able to beat defenses, I don't think people realize how difficult that is when, you, when so much of the attention is going towards trying to prevent that from happening. Let me ask you this question. You know this stuff so well. I'm curious myself. When I look at the makeup of our wide receiver core uh, and see a JoJo Earl who's very likely to be a starter, well, ideally, he's a slot. That's what he did last year, ideally. Uh, Aaron Anderson's been a real exciting player, uh, and, and it's easy to project. I think he's going to play with the ones in the fall. I really believe he is. Today, I believe he is. Uh, but ideally, he's a slot. Uh, Christian Leary is a guy that seems to be, you know, I, I, I think playing his way into the first group or on the periphery. Ideally, he's a slot. Theo Jones-Bell, mentioned by Nick Saban uh, in, in a press conference. Uh, I doubt he's with the ones, but maybe the light's coming on for him. Ideally, he's a slot. I just ask all that to ask. Let's say Aaron Anderson and JoJo Earl both prove to be two of our best four. Uh, do you think JoJo Earl is still a capable player? Because I'm assuming he has more experience, so he's the one that would move. Can JoJo Earl play outside in Jamison's spot? Or, you know, can he can he play, uh, you know, uh, can he be an outside receiver and still be successful at his size? Uh, Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely he, he can. The problem is, is that what you got to understand that will do is it takes away from what he does best, which is kind of very similar to Aaron Anderson, just Aaron Anderson, in my opinion, at a younger age, slightly younger age, does it a lot better. And that's just their very quick twitch. I don't I don't necessarily know. There's nothing I've seen on tape in the past off the top of my head where I say, man, JoJo Earl, you know, can beat guys. You know, I think he's got 
find speed. I think he could be a guy who playing from the slot can be a seam buster. Kind of like we talk about tight ends doing that a lot, but your slot receivers playing inside, they can do it as well. I think when you go four receiver sets, when you got Jojo Earl and Aaron Anderson, both as your two slot guys, and then you got Jermaine Burton and probably Ja'Cory Brooks as your two perimeter guys, that's a way to, and Jermaine Burton, I think overall, you know, he played a lot in the slot for Georgia. I think yeah. he would be ideally suited for the slot. I don't think he's going to at Alabama. And I think he's kind of like John Mechie where, you know, I've always thought that John Mechie would be a heck of a slot receiver. And I think on the NFL level, it's possible that he is. But Alabama just had players inside that could do that. He was definitely good enough to still be a good perimeter receiver. But for JoJo Earl, I don't think he quite has the vertical ability that even a John Mechie had or a Jermaine Burton did. I think he's more, you know, that quick twitch, get open underneath, right. turn short passes in the long gains, uh, that kind of thing. But I could be wrong. It's just I, if I recall, and I'll go back and watch the tape because that is a very interesting question. Um, and I'm I'm pretty sure I still have those games uh, that I have from high from his high school tape, but. I want to say that he didn't get used in that way a ton. And that's why I say if there's a player. It was a slot only last fall. I don't think JoJo took a single snap anywhere else. Yeah, I'm talking about back when he was in high school in the tape oh, that I watched. I probably did other things in high yeah. school. Because in uh, high school, small receivers in college are not necessarily small receivers in high school. Oh, JoJo, yeah. JoJo was probably one of the toughest, strongest people on the field uh, when he was playing high school football, as was Aaron Anderson. Uh, there was probably no more physical player on his offense. So, you know, to me, a couple things stand out. Maybe some people that listen uh, aren't aware of this or don't know this, but to me, it's, it's important about, you know, where you line up. These slot guys are usually everything in football. You have to say usually because there's exceptions to everything, but usually the slot guys two or three yards back of the line of scrimmage, at least two yards short of the line of scrimmage which gives him some room to beat a DB that's in man coverage. You have room. If you're outside, you're almost always, not every time, almost always you have to line up on the line of scrimmage by rule because you have to have seven guys do that. So normally the outside receiver does. But if you line up on the line of scrimmage and the DB's playing man, he might be right in your face. It's going to be tough for someone JoJo Earl's size or Aaron Anderson's size to beat press man coverage at, at this level. You know, in high school, they could easily, but at this level. And that's one reason that Alabama and most teams have a smaller guy in the slot because you, you're not worried as much about getting off the press man coverage. Um, and that's a factor. Secondly, if people haven't noticed this about Nick Saban, uh, it's very valuable. A lot of people already know this. Some don't, but it's, it's neat if you don't know it. But generally, the way we do a freshman, we have – it amounts to three positions. I'm sure there's more that's over my head, but you know, we, we have two outside guys on a slot guy when we're in three receiver sets anyway. And when we're in four receiver sets, we have two outside guys and two slot guys, but that's really three positions, right? Well, our freshman, Nick developed this rule a long time ago. He used to not do this, but Nick does this now. He, he, he said that he got burned too many times and he's not doing this again. So our freshmen, they learn one spot. They don't learn multiple spots. The fret, and that's why JoJo Earl was a slot receiver a year ago. You didn't see him out at X or Z or some someplace way out wide. He only knew the slot. Then in year two, they teach him everything because now they've got the base. Now they understand it. So all of our receivers that have been in the program for more than one year can play more than one spot. 
But the true freshmen, they probably only know one spot. By the way, Nick does that at every position. DBs too. Freshman DBs, they know corner or they know star or they know safety or they know money. The true freshmen don't know multiple spots. Uh, Nick thinks that's just too much because we used to teach multiple spots to some guys and then they would bust. So uh, anyway, that's just a five minute education for uh, people that don't know about why that stuff's important. Yeah. And speaking of kind of just a quick rundown for people that are, are unaware, sometimes we talk and we assume that people know what we're talking about. Typically when you go with a three wide receiver set and you got a tight end, typically what's considered the Z receiver or the flanker, he's going to be playing to the tight end side. He's going to be off the line of scrimmage because the tight end is on the line of scrimmage. Then on the other side is where you got the two receivers where you're going to have your slot guy who's off the line of scrimmage and your X is going to be on the line of scrimmage. So in that instance, the X receiver is the only receiver that's on the line of scrimmage. That's why the opposing defense is going, you know, press man coverage. He's going to be in his face. He's got to be a bigger body guy. He's got to be physical because he's got to fight his way off the line of scrimmage. And you don't necessarily have to be big body to be able to do that. Some guys are just very good. I mean, Jermaine Burton, I've seen him do a couple of reps off the line of scrimmage where he was able to, you know, avoid getting pressed. And, and he looked pretty good doing that. So he's certainly capable. You don't have to be 6'3", 220, you know, to be able to do that. But a, a Treshawn Holden is more of an X receiver, in my opinion. Ja'Cory Brooks is an ideal X receiver because not only can he do that, I also think that he's got some ability to do more than that. Like Treshawn Holden is the big body guy who can beat press because he's big and physical, but then, you know, he didn't have the ability to really press vertically. Your Z receiver is more of your speed guy because a, he's lining up to the single receiver side, but also he's playing off the line of scrimmage. So he didn't have to worry about out physicaling guys necessarily, but you have a lot more opportunities to test teams deep doing that from that side was most of the time. Yeah, which was very strange because it felt like, you know, looking last year, John Mechie can play the Z. Jameson Williams played in the slot quite a bit. He won a lot of his deep ball. I mean, more than you would think of his deep balls playing in the slot. That's, I think, you know, all of Alabama's receivers are going to move around because you don't have those prototypical guys. I mean, the only big, really big body receiver on the roster is Trayshawn Holden. And then the next guy would be Ja'Cory Brooks. And I mean, I guess Jai Hall too but he's kind of lanky a little bit. He's not that prototypical X receiver. He's not big and physical. In fact, I would probably say, I think he's got some deceptive vertical speed. I'd probably put him more as a Z guy anyways, but it's just Alabama. They'll, you know, I want to say that Jamison Williams might've been even labeled the X if I'm not mistaken. And, and John Mechie was the Z. And the reason that I think, because that's always thrown me off before I used to get very like, you know, and it's the same way with strong safety, free safety, the way that they'll label them sometimes on depth charts and everything. It's like, I feel like it would be the opposite, but it's because they play both. Nowadays, free safety, strong safety, you got to be able to do both. Single high, you know, Alabama's got cross. All of our guys are cross, again, same point. I mean, all of our guys are cross-trained if they've been in the program more than a year. You know, as our safeties can play both spots. Our corners can play both spots. Our corners can play corner and star. Uh, the, the offensive lineman, they can play tackle or guard, guard or tackle, inside, inside or outside if they've been there more than a year. But the true freshman, when you see a true freshman on the field in a spot, that's the spot he plays. It's the only spot he's learned. It's the only spot he knows. So a true freshman is going to line up in pretty much the same same position all year long. Uh, then in spring number two, uh, let's say a, a JoJo Earl is there. And that's why I said, hey, when we got Earl and Aaron Anderson on the field at the same time, Earl's the one moving away. 
from the slot because he's been in the program more than a year. It's not that he has, it's not just a skill set, it's just that he's learned the other spots. Uh, Aaron is probably, and I haven't seen practice, I don't know, I'm assuming here, I'm assuming we're teaching Aaron the slot receiver's role at Alabama, and that's what he's playing, and he's only going to play there. Right. Yeah. It, it, uh, Alabama's got a good group of receivers, but one of the things that I've wanted, and I think I've mentioned it before on this show, but I want to mention and continue to bring up is that if Alabama wants to continue to have that element that Jamison Williams brought to the table, I don't think they can do it to that degree, regardless of who they put in there. If there's one player that I think has enough ability to stretch defenses vertically like that, the problem is, is that all the nuances of playing the position, it's not just simply going out there and running a straight line. There's so many more little nuances and stuff, but vertical speed, if he can come in in the summer and do and play well at a high level, I could see a guy like Isaiah Bond being that guy. He's really the, and he's not the same, he didn't, he's not 6'2", 190 plus, or whatever it is that, you know, 188 or whatever it is that Jamison Williams is. He's much smaller. But if there's one guy who plays on the perimeter, can play, you know, I think you can do a lot of different things. I think Alabama likes guys who bring the versatility, but that would be a player that I would keep an eye on. But that's only if all the other stuff is coming along. I think um, Law probably playing outside. I, I think I would, I'm, I'm assuming Kendrick Law's outside. I think he's a guy that can be a real vertical threat. Now, whether he'll be that guy this fall, I, I have a hard time believing it, but it is possible. Like you've, pointed out several times here is so smart so good is that you know even though we worry about wide receiver and we should be worrying about wide receiver based on how the end of last season played out I feel pretty good about the group as a whole I think there's enough here to mix and match and we'll probably be pretty good uh Brooks uh Brooks could, could be a difference maker Jojo could be a difference maker Aaron Anderson could be a difference maker Holden is good enough he'll help us you know, Jermaine Burton is a go-to receiver. I think that group just right there, those dudes, that's an, we, we should be able to field a pretty good unit, particularly with as good as Bryce is where, you know, these guys aren't really having to leave their feet a lot to catch the ball. I mean, Bryce is going to hit guys in stride more than most college quarterbacks will, uh, which makes the job a lot easier. My wife gets on me kind of funny story. She hates when I'm uh, I'm not uh, people that listen to me here and read my work. They know I'm not a super critical fan anyway, but <laughs> my wife gets on me. I can get upset about wide receivers that don't make tough catches. And and she's like, why are, that was a hard catch to make. But what I tell her repeatedly is, look, they didn't go to Alabama because they're good at catching a ball between the eight and four on their Jersey. I mean, mo- a lot of guys in fraternity houses at Alabama can run up half-ass route and catch a ball that hits them right in the numbers and advance the ball at least a couple yards. But what, why these guys are on scholarship, why these guys are getting NIL deals, why these guys are future NFL, they, they need to be able to do things at wide receiver that normal people can't do that that thing that things that they, they can't do. They need to do extraordinary things, not just catching a ball that hits them in the hands, you know, that that they're just wide open because the defense busted and the ball hits them. That's not a play. That's not a play. But if you leave your feet, if you catch a ball with one hand, if you make an SEC DB miss you trying to tackle you, you're extraordinary. Normal, regular people can't do stuff like that. And that's what I expect of them. And, uh, yeah, it'll get on the wife a little bit. But I I expect a lot out of college wide receivers, wide receivers at Alabama, because some of what they do is pretty ordinary. 
but you have to expect the extraordinary for them to be worth a spot on the team. I agree with that statement. And what sets people apart, I mean, I'm not saying you can go grab somebody in a, in a fraternity house, you know, like necessarily you're saying, and, and they're going to be able to go run, you know, a vertical route and be as consistent at it as Jamison Williams. But I know golfers who can do what Tiger Woods was able to do and can still do in, to some degree. They just can't do it as consistently as Tiger Woods. And that's the difference in what makes them great. I, I've, I've, I've had guys that I've played with that could just rocket a ball, you know, hit it. 260 270 280 290 whatever it is but they just can't do it they can't hit it it, it, straight they can't hit it straight and they can't do it they can't do that every time they get up on the tee box it's the consistency in which tiger woods performs great that makes him the one of the greatest of all time it was you know there have been plenty of nba players who could do a turnaround jumper like michael jordan they just couldn't do it as consistently as he could you know it's that's what sets people apart and that's why you say if you're playing at Alabama and stuff, I think that's why it's so important with Nick Saban and anything you do in life. If you're trying to be successful, consistency is key. You know, I, I see people all the time who are trying to become, you know, TikTok stars on social media. That's about as polar opposite as you can get from a football field as you possibly can, even though a lot of football foot players also enjoy doing TikToks, or at least some some of them do. But they post three or four times and then they'll go a week without posting. And it's like if you really want to do this consistency is key. It's, it's con- consistency in everything that you do. If you're managing people's money, you have to be consistent with it. You can't be inconsistent. Nick Saban talks about it all the time on the football field. That's very, very important. And Alabama's receivers, first of all, just think about what the transfer portal has done for Alabama. In most years, going into last year, it would have been John Mechie. It would have been Slade Bolden have, having a little bit of experience. But there were question marks at receiver, question marks that Jamison Williams answered. In most years, Alabama shouldn't have been able to have that, or they wouldn't have been able to have that. This year, we would be talking about Treshawn Holden having experience. Corey Brooks got a little bit. You know, JoJo Earl got a little bit, but tons of talent. There will always be talent at Alabama, but we would be concerned about the experience and how everything's going to work together. And there would probably be a lot of growing pains for a lot of those younger guys, but Alabama would be forced to do that because they wouldn't have any other choice. Now you have the transfer portal available to Nick Saban. Y'all screwed up letting that happen. He goes out there and he gets a guy in Jermaine Burton who's got experience. He's got talent. Now he becomes that guy and everybody else gets to bump down a spot on the depth chart and which makes them more comfortable. The guy who would have been, had to have been the number one now becomes the number two. That is a spot. You're not getting as much attention from the defense as you would have as the number one guy the number two guy who probably would thrive more in the number three role. Now you got two guys ahead of you that the defense is giving attention to that allows you to play at a much higher level. These are things that Alabama would have had to have dealt with had the transfer portal not existed. And they screwed up and let that happen. And now Nick Saban's making them pay for it. Jermaine Burton is is crucial. You know, Jameer Gibbs, I think Alabama would survive at running back and be fine, uh, even though I think he's going to take things to a whole new level. I think Eli Ricks is pretty important at corner. I do because of the experience factor, the same concept. But Jermaine Burton coming in and being that guy who has played at a high level on the biggest stage, he's just, and I, I mean, from his perspective, Jimmy, you got to think he's he's thrilled having yeah. probably Bryce Young throwing him the football right now. He's got the best of all worlds now, and, and it is crazy that you could get a wide receiver from the national champions to like, hey, you know what, I'm the lead. Even though – 
I'm going into next season as their wide receiver one. Uh, I'm, I'm going somewhere else, not because he's kicked off, not because it's a discipline thing. Uh, it's just I want to catch more balls. I feel like my NFL shot is being adversely affected by the offense we're running and then the lack of balls I'm getting. And at Alabama, I think he saw he saw exactly what happened with Jamison Williams, where, it, look, if Jamison had stayed right where he was, he would have caught a lot of balls. He would have been a significant player for Ohio State this past season. He probably wouldn't have caught as many balls as Alavi. He probably wouldn't have caught as many balls as Garrett Wilson. He'd have had to fight that dude with all the names that I, Jackson, whatever his name is, no, no Tay Smith. Yeah. Jackson, Jackson no Smith and a Jigba or something like that. Yeah, that dude. He would have had to fight him for the number three role, you know, uh, in that offense. And, and he still would have caught balls. He still would have been drafted. But he wouldn't have gone in the first round. He wouldn't have caught 45 balls. And, and, and Jamison just saw, you know, I want to go to a place where I can catch more balls and, and audition for the NFL. And he did. And had he not been hurt, he'd be picked top 10, top 12 in this draft. Had he not been hurt. I think Jermaine Burton just saw that story. He's like, you know what? And stay where, right where I am. We'll win the games. I'll catch some balls. I'll make some plays. I'll get my shot at the NFL. But he saw what Jameson Williams did, and he's like, you know what? Jameson moved to a place where they would feature him, and he'd be the number one guy, and he'd catch a lot of balls, and it put him in the first round. I'm doing what Jameson did. And, and, and is it the exact same player? No. But he's similar enough to where he will be our – wide receiver one, just like Jameson was for us last year. And while normally I can get kind of upset when players are a little selfish, I don't think what Jermaine did was selfish. I think he did what all of us adults do in the business world. He looked for a better opportunity for himself. And there's nothing wrong with that when you're talking about your business and what's important to you. And what's important to him is getting drafted, getting drafted as high as possible, playing the NFL because that, that's what helps him, his family, uh, his family that doesn't even exist yet. Um, and, and uh, man, we, we, we got very lucky that we could get a guy like Burton. Uh, it, it's not going to be easy every year to do this, not even for Nick Saban, but, man, Nick, is, Nick has owned uh, the portal, and, uh, and we're probably getting a guy out of the portal this week uh, that's going to help us win games too. Yeah, and just watching how Alabama has targeted guys in the transfer portal. I mean, you think about the receivers. A lot of times, when you look at the positions as a whole, a lot of times Alabama is just going to target the best player on somebody else's team or one of the best players. You know, Eli Ricks was going to be one of LSU's best defensive players, if not their best. You know, you look at Jameer Gibbs, by far the best player on Georgia Tech's offense. Uh, Jermaine Burton, not necessarily going to be the best player, talking about all the positions, but definitely going to be their number one receiver for a, a national championship team. That's guys that, you know, Nick Saban targets, and he gets them. And LSU isn't safe. Georgia's not safe. Uh, no one's safe, really. I don't think you're ever going to see a Jermaine Burton caliber player at Alabama transfer to LSU. I don't think you're ever going to see a a, a – a, you know, or an Eli Ricks caliber player at corner, just up in the side, I want to go play for Georgia instead. If they're that guy at Alabama, they're staying at Alabama. But Georgia's not safe, at least not with their current offense. Defenders, maybe. But LSU, not safe. Big-name programs, none of them. You know, it's not just Georgia Tech or some of these smaller schools, but then also Nick Saban will go out there and he'll see a guy that just isn't getting the opportunities. The reason that Jameson Williams entered the transfer portal at Ohio State was that he saw what was ahead of him, 
he didn't see that changing much, and he didn't think that he was going to get the opportunities that he wanted to. So he was looking elsewhere. Alabama sees a number, what everybody else views as a number four receiver, brings him in, turns him into a first, or not necessarily turned him into a first round pick. I think he always had that talent, but helped develop his skills enough and helped him become or reach his potential to become a first round pick. Ended up almost winning the Bolitnikoff Award, uh, was one of the nation's most successful receivers in the country. That's just, I mean, the way that he's playing this whole transfer portal game is quite impressive. Uh, and I think that that will probably continue. And it's, you know, Tyler Steen, I think that the coaching staff would be very pleased if he ended up joining the offensive line as well, which we talked about earlier. But that's going to do it for another episode. We got we have two episodes. We've gotten through two positions. And we'll be back again. We'll talk more about the quarterbacks and, you know, the interior pass rush and so many other notes. You know, Will Anderson did not participate in the spring game. That's something we'll at least touch on a little bit. We'll talk about Jameer Gibbs and the running backs and kind of where things stand there. I don't know how Jimmy and I are doing it. I hit start on the timer. I turn up to talk to Jimmy. I look down, it's been 40 minutes. I don't know how we're doing it, but um, it, it's just that's, I mean, we could, we've talked about doing like a all day thing, just doing like a Facebook Live, Periscope. I don't even know what all they got nowadays, but just doing one of those. Yep. non-stop letting people come in and out and we might end up doing that because we could certainly make make these kind con- i mean i could take this position by position and we could have 40 minute conversations on every position all camp would be good when people are really excited about about the season starting and we practice for a couple weeks and we've heard some things and uh yeah fall camp i think it'd be a good time to to try our eight hour live podcast yeah i'm telling you folks that's coming uh i don't know <laughs> when it's coming but Jimmy and I talk way too long, elaborate way too much, and just you say a thought and it sparks something in me. And back when we had Jake Evans, our old podcast producer, he'd keep keep us in line and be like, hey, every time Jimmy says something that sparks something in your mind, you don't have to run with it for 10 minutes and then (laughs) spark something in his mind and make him run. And that was how we were able to keep our podcast short. Now what I'm doing is I'm like, you know what? We'll just turn this into a two-parter or a three-parter, or we'll see what happens tomorrow when we hop back on here. Y'all, you guys are free to listen to a part of it and then and then go back to your your normal lives <laughs> if you don't have the full 40 minutes. We understand. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I, I hope, and people can, feedback is great. Go leave a five-star review. If you're loving what we're doing, certainly we're going to be doing it more, like I said, just during the offseason. We'll probably keep it to, try to keep it to one podcast a week, even though we haven't been able to even do that. But go leave a five-star review. Tell us you love what we're doing. Just so we have some feedback. If you don't think we're doing a good job, don't don't go leave us a one star. That that's just that's unacceptable. We don't accept that whatsoever. Just tell us what tell we us. can tell us what we can do to uh, that. Hey, I wish y'all would keep it shorter. I wish you guys would go longer. I wish you guys would talk about this. Uh, you know, I wish you guys would do part of it in uh, German or Spanish. I mean, what whatever you, your critique is, we we want to know because of course we want the best show for you guys that we can possibly do. A hundred percent. This show is for y'all. I have these type of conversations with people behind the scenes all the time. They end up running. We'll talk two hours. And that's why I kind of get in this flow with Jimmy, especially. I feel like we're talking on the phone. It's just the two of us just going back and forth about Alabama football um, and working our way through some things, which is why I think we always end up, you know, going quite a you know, bit longer than we anticipated. But we appreciate you guys tuning in and we will talk to you guys soon. This has been the Bam on 3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Madness is here.
Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. 